Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 12 how Abraham built his first altar to Jehovah God and how God appeared to Abraham and waited for Abraham to engage and respond. And Abraham then called upon the name of the Lord. Now, before we begin our Bible teaching program here on Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, we want to inform you of a Jewish salvation. From our Summer Blitz, one of our Israel Restoration Ministries missionaries was able to witness and reach a 26-year-old Jewish woman and college student with the gospel. Now, the missionary had to work for many, many weeks reaching this lost Jewish woman, and they were studying Hebrew together, building the relationship, uh, but she was indoctrinated with her college beliefs and thoughts of alien life and extraterrestrial evolution and other Interesting things that she's learned in college and through secular studies. But finally, the missionary was able to sit her down after much prayer and much really building that relationship with her and really laying out what the Bible says about having a personal relationship with God, the creator of the universe. They went over scientific topics and also biblical studies and doctrinal studies, as well as uh, you know Jewish background studies, but all of it leading up to presenting of the Ten Commandments and that she could not do enough to be saved and how God was a good and just God and that he would have to bring about justice for her violation of the Ten Commandments. Now, falling under this guilt and conviction, this Jewish woman realized she needed the Lord Jesus Christ and God's sacrifice in his blood for her sins, and she was willing to repent of all the other teachings and learnings that she had faced and put her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she did that just this past week, and she's also been in services of worship and in church and discipleship, and she is growing in her relationship and friendship with God. And if you would like to support Jewish evangelism and the gospel going to the Jewish people, you can donate 100% tax deductible, and you can make that donation online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us at 800-247-3051, 3051. Now here is Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis 12 on Abraham building his first altar to God. All right, let's pray. Father, lead us. We pray like you led Abraham. Lord, lead us this morning as we open and study your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now Genesis chapter 12, beginning now verse 1. And uh, verse 1, now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I'll bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and all the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land, and, they, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from hence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, Nai on the east. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still 
toward the south, and there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now, in our last study, you remember how we, we looked at verses 7 and 8, very important verses 7 and 8 together, where it says the Lord appeared to Abraham and made this great promise, the great, what was the great promise? That he would give this land to his seed. And so what did he do? He builds an altar there, he appeared to him, and then he goes on to the mountain and, and he builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. When he was down there in verse 7 in the plain of Moray, something amazing happened to Abraham. It's stated in the verse. What was it? What was the thing? Amazing thing happened. What was the amazing thing in verse 7 that happened to him? It's not a trick question. It's very simple. It just says it right there. What does it say? The Lord appeared to Abraham. Two very, very, uh, is a very, very important thing that happened there. The Lord appeared to Abram. It's the first time we read that the Lord appeared to Abram. Now, you know, we look at this and we ask, well, who appeared to him? Well, you know, there's two very important words that we need to key into as we study the Old Testament, and those are the words Jehovah and Elohim. The King James translators make it very easy for us so we don't have to go back and see what the Hebrew says because whenever we see in the Old Testament the word God, small g, small o, small d, that's the word Elohim. So very easy. And whenever we see in the Old Testament the word Lord, all with capital letters, L-O-R-D, like we have here, that's the word Jehovah, or literally it's the word yod heh vav or Y-H-V-H. So there are no vowels given for this word in the Masoretic text as there are for all the other words. So it's unpronounceable, Y-H-V-H, and some people don't pronounce it, but we typically add the vowels U-O-A-H, so it comes out Yehovah, or Jehovah. So when we see in the Old Testament this word, L, capital letters, L-O-R-D, that's the word Jehovah. When we see in the word God, G, capital G, small O, small D, that's the word Elohim. Elohim, as, we, as, as you know, we've covered this before, Elohim is a plural word. So Elohim refers to the Trinity. It first refers to the Three persons of the Godhead or the Trinity. Jehovah is not a plural word. So oftentimes I say, you, you know, Jehovah Jesus. Now that's not to say that every time Jehovah appears that it refers to Jesus. Because there are times in the Old Testament, clearly, where the word Jehovah is not referring to Jesus. Why? Because in Isaiah 53, when it talks about it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's clearly referring to God the Father, and the word Jehovah is used there too. So maybe you find this confusing, that sometimes Jehovah is referring to Jesus, God the Son, or sometimes it's referring to God the Father. But that's the point behind the Shema. In Deuteronomy 6.4, the common way of saying the Shema is the way, in the way the Jewish people always say it, is Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. But that's not correct, because the word Adonai does not appear in the Shema. In fact, the word Jehovah, you look in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and you'll see the capital letters there. That's what's the word that's appearing in the Shema. So the correct way of saying the Shema is Shema Yisrael, Yehovah Eloheinu, Yehovah Echad, or Hero Israel, Jehovah is our God's. Jehovah is one, in other words, with our gods. So the Shema 
It's the most famous verse used in the Bible for the Jewish people as a prayer. And the New Testament, the New Testament equivalent for the Shema is very simply John 10.30, where it says, where the Lord says, I and my Father are one. That's the New Testament equivalent for Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's it, there in John 10.30. Which, like the Shema, is affirming that Jehovah Jesus, or God the Son, is one with the Eloheinu, with the Elohim, with our gods. Elohim is the plural is the possessive Elohim. So, so the Shema is affirming that Jehovah Jesus is a person in the three persons of the Elohim Godhead, and that all these three persons are perfectly in sync with each other. They're, they're together, they're united, they're one. And how ironic that the most repeated prayer of the Jewish people actually affirms the deity of the one that they despised and rejected. And the fact that all three persons in the Godhead are one, it gives us the explanation for why Jehovah and Elohim are seemingly used interchangeably. But in verse 7 of our text here, when it says that the Lord appeared to Abram, that's Jehovah. It says that. The Lord or Jehovah appeared to Abram. We know that that person, that Jehovah, that appeared to that appeared to Abraham was the Lord Jesus. How do we know that? Because he made it clear in John 1.18 when, when it said, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So the Lord Jesus, we know, is the perfect reflection of the Father. That's what it says about him in Hebrews 1.3. He says he's the express image of God. You couldn't have a more perfect image of the Father than the Lord Jesus, the express image of his person. He's so much the express image of the Father that sometimes the Lord Jesus is called the Father. That's what happens. That's what happened in Isaiah 9, 6, when it says, for unto us a child is born. Who's that child? That's the child Jesus. Unto us a son is given. Who's that? That's God the Son. Uh, the same person, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. How could the child Jesus that was born, how could the eternal Son that was given be called the Everlasting Father? You can't tell the difference. And that's what he said to Philip in John 14, 9, when he said, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me has seen the Father. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God in just a minute. Now, Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, a Jewish evangelism outreach ministry. And at the beginning of our program, we mentioned how a 26-year-old Jewish college student received the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. Now, you too can be an evangelist and work for Israel Restoration Ministries as a volunteer and take the gospel to the Jewish people around you. Maybe it's your doctor, maybe it's your lawyer, your neighbor, a business owner in your neighborhood, an acquaintance, a relative, someone that you know that needs to be reached with the gospel, and they're Jewish. We have resources that are geared towards reaching Jewish people, and our missionaries put out 
great gospel gifts and tracks. And in fact, we have a pack of 20 Israel Restoration Ministries fourfold color tracks. They're beautiful. They've got an Old Testament gospel presentation. You can get 20 of them by calling us now at 800-247-3051. So when we see in the Bible the Lord Jesus, we're seeing God the Father. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is not only the way, the only way to the Father from John 14, 6, but he reveals the Father. He reveals God the Father. He reveals God the Holy Spirit because they're all echad. They're all one. And the Elohim Trinity, they're united. How are they united? They're united not in their person because there's three persons, but they're united in their character, they're united in their purpose, and they're united in their work. So I'm speaking to you right now. So here I am speaking to you right now. I got a message I'm trying to communicate with you. Now, as I'm speaking to you, there are three parts of me that are involved in the communication of this message that I'm trying to tell you. First of all, my spirit has given birth, so to speak, to the message I'm trying to communicate. So you think of a, of a show, and, or whatever you want to call it. So the spirit is like the writer. It's like the writer, okay? So that's what he is. And then my soul has thought of how I'm going to communicate this message. So the soul is like the producer. And then my body is communicating this message, like the actor. Okay? So to make this happen, you need all three. You have to have the writer, you have to have the producer, you have to have the actor. So that's the spirit, the soul, and the body, right? All three parts are at work at the same time in the communication. So in a person, there's an echadness. There's an echadness between the spirit, the soul, and the body. So you can't say, well, there's a division in you. I don't think your soul's on board <laughs> with what you're saying, right? <laughs> That's not what I <laughs> It's the same way with the echadness of the Elohim Trinity, right? All three, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, they're all engaged, and they're all working at the same time. That's why... It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts, why? To give the light of the knowledge of God, in the, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, what you see. So if we want to know who God the Father is, or what he's like, we look in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, God the Holy Spirit, we look in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because in Hebrews 1.3, he is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So we know that when, Je when Genesis 12.7 is speaking and it says, Jehovah appeared unto Abraham, that was Jehovah Jesus who appeared to Abraham. Now, Abraham was so amazed that God appeared to him. And what, is he, what did he do to memorialize that? He built an altar, right? He built an altar, and so we see how verse 7 puts it. It says, there, there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So we see that Abraham built an altar to the Lord because the Lord appeared to him. And we see in verse 7 that very important word, there, which emphasizes how Abraham wanted so much to mark the place where God appeared to him. Abraham wanted to never forget how God appeared to him there that he wanted that there should be a memorial, so there he builds an altar to the Lord. And that's why the word there is so important in verse 7, because 
It shows the place where God appeared to him. And that's the place where he built the altar. There's the exact place. So now we look in verse 8, and we see again the word there, because Abraham's marking another place. Now it's up in the mountain. And Abraham has a new altar. And so again, we see him marking the very important place. And again, it's all about the there. And he builds this new altar there, because right there, something very important happened to him. What happened there? He called on the name of the Lord. So the first altar was where something was done to Abraham. God appeared to Abraham. The second altar was where Abraham did something. He called on the name of the Lord. See, God revealed himself to Abraham, and God gave the promise of the land to Abraham, and then he built the first altar. See, God did something. He appeared to Abraham and so Abraham built that first altar. God did that to Abraham. Then Abraham responds, and he calls on the name of the Lord, and then he builds an altar there. So Abraham did something. See, he called on the name of the Lord. And where that happened, Abraham memorializes and says, we're going to build an altar here. We're going to build an altar here. God appeared to me. We're going to build an altar here. Then I called on the name of the Lord. So the key to understanding the relationship between these two verses, 7 and 8, these two altars, the first and second altar, is the word there because it shows that there God appeared to him, there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. The second there is where Abraham did something. In other words, this is a picture of, of how it's supposed to happen. This is Abraham responding. First came the revelation. That was the first altar. Second comes what Abraham does. He's responding. He's calling on the name of the Lord. He's becoming a man of prayer, that Abraham is. How, why? As a result of God appearing to him. So we have the first one. So what do you call this? You call this Abraham received in the first altar, Abraham engaged at the second altar. Abraham engaged. God appeared to Abraham, and then Abraham responded. Or let's say God appeared to Abraham and God then waited for Abraham to respond. He waited for Abraham to engage. And then Abraham did engage. And it's as if God says, you know, you and I, when, when he did engage in the second altar, then God could have said, you know, you and I, Abraham, are going to have a great relationship because you engage. You respond, Abraham. Now, look with me at the calling of Moses, the great calling of Moses to deliver the Jewish people from Egypt. Please turn to Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush passage where God appeared to Moses. Exodus 3, 6 through 11. So this is the great passage here, the start of the whole thing with, with Moses that resulted in the deliverance of the Jewish people. This is really the calling of the great Moses, our teacher, our rabbi, Moshe Rabbeinu, our rabbi. So here we go. So it says here in, in Exodus 3, 6, now let's study it. Moreover, he said, is God speaking out of the burning bush, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So who appeared to him in the burning bush? God did. Okay. And the Lord, Jehovah, see, interchangeable, said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up into a land, unto a land, good land, a large land, 
and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Abraham, that thou mayest bring forth my people, children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said unto God, Who am I? that I should go into Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Sorry. This is a very similar experience that Moses had compared to Abraham. Why? Because just as in Genesis 12, 7, the first time when God has appeared to Abraham, we have that in Exodus 3, 6, what we're looking at now. This is the first time that God appears to Moses. And we see that, you know, he hid his face because he was afraid to look upon God in verse 6. And then in verse 6, God introduces himself. He says, I, I want to tell you who I am. He says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And in verse 7, God moves directly into the issue, the issue with the Jewish people. They must be delivered. It's as if God says, yeah, I want to introduce myself. And as soon as he's done that in verse 7, he comes right, right abruptly God's saying, you know, well, now the introduction's out of the way. Let's get to the point, you know. And so, and so then verses 7, 8, and 9, God gets right down to the point, right down to the issue. What's the issue? God's talking about in verse 7 three points, and they are what he has, they're all about what he has seen, what he has heard, and what he knows. Those are the three points. And God's talking about his eyes and his ears and his soul. And he says, he said, I, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry, and I know their sorrows. So if Moses had any ideas, I said, oh, it's God who's introduced himself to me. You know, let's talk about something else. Only. He says, you know, oh, God, you're God. Wow, that's something. I have a lot of questions I like to ask you. Can I ask you some questions about creation? I always wondered how the universe works. Well, Moses could just forget it because God was stirred up, and God was focused and God wanted Moses to be stirred up and to get focused. And he didn't want to talk about anything else other than what he had seen and what he had heard and what he knows. He said, I've seen the affliction of my people. And he didn't want to talk about anything other than what he had heard. He says, I've heard their cry. And he didn't want to talk about anything else that he knew other than what he knew in his soul. I know their sorrow. So verse 7 is information for God. It's information about what he, what he saw, the affliction, what he heard, their cry, and what he knew, their sorrow. Now, what does God do with all that information? That's why verse 8 comes. He moves to action. See, he says, you got all this information, and so what are you going to do about it, God? I am come down to deliver them. I am come down to bring them out of Egypt. I am come down to bring them up into a land flowing with milk and honey. So God was showing Moses. He's saying, Moses, you know, in essence, he's like he's saying to Moses, Moses, watch me. Okay, watch me. <laughs> he's saying, watch me. Look at what happens. I get information, and then I act, right? I, I, I get information, and then I act. I saw, I heard, I know, I come, see? Now, so he's saying, in essence, in essence to Moses, watch me carefully, so that you can do what the Lord Jesus Christ said on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, be, he said that ye may be the children of your father. So in essence, he's saying that to Moses, that you may be the children of me, a child of me. So watch me carefully. He's saying to Moses, he says, Moses, you need to hear, 
you need to hear and absorb the throb of God's heart or God's heart throb so that you can engage. Because that's what I did. So when God told Moses that he had, what he'd seen, what he'd heard, what he knew, and how that motivated God to then move, God was saying to Moses, you see how that information engages me to action? And so God is saying to Moses, that's what I expect of you, Moses. I want you to do that. And I'm going to show you this information also so that you can engage to action. So verse 9, God gives it a try by saying, now therefore, he repeats, he says, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. And now Moses at this point could have said, you know, he could have stepped back and he said, so, (laughs) Moses could have said, so why are you telling me all this information, right? But God answered the question in verse 10, and he says, I'll tell you why I'm telling you this, because come now, therefore, and I'll send thee. What a great day of studying the Bible here in Genesis chapter 12 with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Tom Cantor is our Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as our Bible teacher, has a wonderful ministry called Israel Restoration Ministries, whom he is the founder of. He wants to reach lost Jewish people, too, because someone reached him with the gospel. Now, if you'd like to volunteer and be a part of Israel Restoration Ministries, reaching lost Jewish people in the area in which you live, we've got a pack of 20 full-color, fourfold tracks that we'd like to get to you with a gospel presentation from the Old Testament about Jesus Christ being the Jewish Messiah. It's a beautiful presentation of the gospel. You can get 20 of them by calling us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. You can also call us to donate, 800-247-3051. 